as you join us today. We want to welcome you back to our program. Thank you for your continued support and believing in the ministry of Family of Grace. Also want to just say thank you. Thank you for stopping us on the streets. Thank you for engaging with us in the community. And thank you for beginning to come and be part of our service and worship with us live and looking for places that you can plug in. Today we have a message that I believe will help bring some clarity to the end of the whole resurrection picture and what Jesus Christ was really and truly trying to tell us and tell his disciples in his last words. If we had to title today's sermon, it would be called The Uncomfortable Wait, Waiting on the Last Words of Jesus. That, If you have your Bible, if you'll take it and turn with us to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 1, we'll find our place there in this passage of Scripture. <clears throat> While you're turning there, I want to go back and share a few thoughts uh, from our sermon previously, where we finished in Acts 28 and verse 18. Jesus had called them to the secret place. You may remember that passage of Scripture that we looked at. And the place up in the mountains after the resurrection. And here's what he told them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now go therefore into all the world and make disciples. I'm afraid today that we have missed the disciple-making component of the gospel. We become angry when we see parents who have children and they do not take care of them. They shuffle them around from pillar to post. They're in this home one day with this family member one moment, and the next week it's a different one, and that infuriates us. But you know today, that's many times what we do in the body of Christ. We, it's not just to lead people to Christ, but it's to make disciples. It's mentoring. It's going deeper for the love of all. God is calling us to go deeper. God does not expect for you to be an inch deep and a mile wide. He wants to put depth into your life. The uncomfortable gospel does that. That it doesn't just say, now that you've seen me rise from the dead, you know what, go, why don't y'all go build yourself a little church and, and just have a good time till I come again. That's not what he says. He says, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. Now think about that concept. Going into all the world to make disciples. They have a mule, a pair of sandals, and a wind-driven sea vessel. And I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. Isn't it amazing that that never shocked them? It never astonished them. So if you have your Bible, now let's look at this passage today. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, and let's just start in verse 1. And then it says that Theopolis wrote these things about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit. Would you underline that in your Bible? Given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, 
appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. Would you underline that word right there? Maybe maybe circle it, highlight on your smart device that that word wait, because that's what I want to talk to you about today is how the uncomfortable gospel calls us and engages us many times into an uncomfortable waiting period. And so in this passage of scripture, wait for what? Wait for the Father's promise. And this, he said, is what you heard from me, from John the Baptist. Uh, he baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the nation of Israel? You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the problem was they were looking for a political Messiah instead of a theological Messiah. And they're thinking, okay, he's the Messiah. This is the people that are closest to him. He's the Messiah. Surely he's going to take care of our politics before he goes back to the Father. And so they said, Lord, will you, will you restore the nation of Israel? And so in this passage of Scripture, here's what he says. It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and there it is again, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to take your sandals, I want you to take your little donkey, and I want you to take your wind-driven sea vessel and go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. Church, we are called to reproduce disciples of Christ, period. And as we look at this and we go a little bit further, he says, and after this, he said to them, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into the heaven. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same manner that he, you've seen him going into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they arrived, they went into the room upstairs where they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, all of these and all of these men went and they were continually united in prayer along with the woman including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers were there, and they began to pray and wait on the promise of the Father. Now look in chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And there were tongues like flames of fire that were divided and appeared, and they rested on them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. The uncomfortable wait. The uncomfortable waiting period. The hard time. The place where we're engaging and we're waiting on the Lord. Now, there's a couple of things we must understand about these disciples. Let's go back. 
If you go back prior to the arrest of Jesus, what did he ask them to do? Will you come right here and watch and wait with me? Will you pray and wait? And he said, the Bible says that he withdrew a stone's throw away and he began to pray. And he prayed for some time and he came back to check on his boys. And what were they doing? Sleeping. And he woke them up and he said, pray that you enter not into temptation for the hour is near. Pray, pray, pray. Isn't it amazing that when we want a tactic to grow a church or make disciples, prayer is the last solution. Prayer is the last thing we want to do. Prayer, I mean, we want to use social media. We want to use billboards. We want to use television. We want to use radios. We want to use gimmicks. We want to use tricks. We want to use strategy. We want to do all these things except pray. When we can have see more happening through prayer than we can through all of our strategies. Now, here's the interesting dynamic. It's the thing that we hate to do the most. You know why that is? Because for us to enter into a time of prayer, it means that we are admitting that we can't do it. It means that we are powerless. It means that we don't have the ability. And I want you to know that we hate to admit that. It means that you are calling on someone else to do what you cannot do. And I want you to realize today, there is no one greater to call on than the name of Jesus. Here's what the uncomfortable waiting was about. I'm telling you, they missed it before the Garden of Gethsemane. They missed, Peter missed it around the campfire when he denied Jesus. They missed it after the resurrection. We looked at that in great detail, that it was only a couple of women that went to the tomb that morning. And had they really believed what Jesus had been saying about himself, they would have all been there that morning waiting, waiting, waiting for the stone to roll back, waiting for the stone to be taken away. But we know that that's not how it happened. We know that's not what took place. And so they had missed it on many occasions. You remember after that, Peter and some boys, they said, well, we don't know what else to do. Our leader's gone. And Peter just went back fishing. He went back to what he was doing before he ever met Jesus. And there around that campfire, they, Jesus was there on the seashore. And he was cooking them breakfast after the resurrection. And Peter realized that's who it was. And Peter jumped out of the boat and took off to meet Jesus. And there at the seashore breakfast campfire, Jesus restored Peter. Now here's the interesting dynamic. And a lot had happened in their life that had them thinking differently. A lot began to transpire that had them approaching life differently, approaching ministry differently. And I'm telling you, they were looking through a whole other set of lenses at this particular time. They were watching for the promise. They were watching. What did Jesus say? He says, I'm going to give you a promise. What is the promise? Have you ever promised your children something? You better not do it too early because they will wear you out. I mean, if you promise it before you're ready to deliver, what are they going to say? Is it time? We took one our, our, our second generation of children. We took them this week to the aquarium. And when Ella's eyes opened up first thing that morning, she said, we're going to the aquarium going to the aquarium i said well it doesn't open till 10 go back to sleep waiting for the promise watching for it we had made a promise and she knew that if we had made her a promise that she was we was watching for it my dad is going to deliver on the promise and the jesus had made them a promise he made them a promise that he was going to come out of that tomb and they didn't believe it and they missed it he made them a promise that he would not leave them or forsake them and they missed it and they missed it and they missed it but i'm telling you that something took place it began to change their lives. 
They were waiting on the promise. They were waiting for what was taking place. They were waiting for a whole new dynamic. As they were waiting for this promise in verses 1 through 3, look at what it says here. Theopolis says all about Jesus uh, was being done. And he says he was making a change, making a difference up until the day that he was taken back. They were watching for the promise, but they were waiting for the power. And this is interesting. This is an interesting dynamic. I went back and I read to you out of Matthew 28 and verse 18 because Jesus comes and he says, All power has been given unto you. All power on heaven and in earth has been given unto you. Now, let's go back to a sermon a couple of weeks ago and think about what was taking place. You remember where we know that Jesus rendered Satan defeated. We know that when he conquered him and he overthrew him, here was the dynamic, that we know that he took the keys away from the death, hell, and the grave, and he gave them to that angel to hold until that day was going to come. We know that he rendered Satan defeated. We know that Satan had power over this realm, power over this world, we know that's why we know that's why when he tempted Jesus and we looked at this in that sermon I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it but he tempted Jesus and said if you'll bow down and worship me I'll give you all that you see and so when Jesus comes to his disciples he says I'm giving you all power in heaven and on And then he says to them, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait and watch for the promise. What was the promise? The promise is the power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power, power, power. The Bible says when Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to go away and return to the Father. And they didn't want him to go back. And he says, but greater things you will be able to do when I go back to the Father. Greater things you will be able to do because right now I'm only around you physically. But after the promise of the Father comes, not only will I just be around you, but I will indwell in you. I will take up residence. I will pitch my tent in your earthen vessel. My, 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 what a dynamic. What a dynamic in this passage of Scripture. And so they were waiting. They were waiting for the promise. And the promise was that they would not be left as orphans. The promise was that if Jesus went away, that he said they could do greater things. The promise was that the power would come upon them. And they would be able to see great things happen. If God left us all this power, why are we living so powerless? If Jesus said you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and we've been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, then why are we so powerless? Why is the church in America having to stoop to tactics and strategies and gimmicks and games, games to draw a crowd? Because we are void of the power. How will the power come? When we wait, when we pray, when we intercede, we have communion with God, when we are filled with the Spirit. You see, the spirit of religion will not bring the power. The spirit of religion cannot bring salvation. The spirit of religion cannot bring sanctification. The spirit of religion cannot bring, uh, it cannot seal, it cannot bring victory in your life. And the spirit of religion cannot bring power. Well, actually it can. I've seen a few church fights. 
But it can't bring the kind of power that will change the world. It cannot bring the kind of power that will change lives. It cannot bring the kind of power that he will heal marriages. It cannot bring the kind of power that will raise the people on their sick bed up off of their sick bed. It cannot bring that kind of life-changing power. Only Jesus can through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I want you to go and wait because I'm going to give you the promise of the Father. The Bible says, as they were waiting for the power, it takes us in this description how they began to be lost in the wonder. I mean, think about this. Here's Jesus. He's talking to you. He's saying, all power, I'm going to give you. My power, you're going to receive the power. You're going to receive the power. You're going to receive the power. And as he's talking, and he commands them to go to Jerusalem, which was their city. Judea, which was their city. uh, Right next door. Samaria, which was across the tracks. And then go around the world. Go around the world. Do you realize we have churches today We have believers today who are not even comfortable reaching their Jerusalem, much less their Samaria. We have churches who have strategies to reach people like them. Well, if we're all made in his image, aren't we all like one another? Aren't we all like one another? And this begins to be very uncomfortable because in, when Jesus told him to go around the world, you know what he was doing? He was breaking through the ethnic barrier. He was breaking through the cultural barrier. He was breaking through the economical barrier. He was breaking through the religious barriers. And he says, I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care where you're from. I want you to know this, that I want you to go around the world and reach men and women women boys and girls for the glory and grace and power and wonder of the kingdom of heaven and then he re-emphasizes it again his last words his last words that he spoke was hey guys go to your jerusalem and reach it go to your judea and reach it go to the samaritans the half-breeds, the people that you have prejudice against, the people who are not of one whole ethnicity, but they are a hodgepodge of multi-ethnic inside their own body. Go to them and reach them. And when you get through reaching them, get in your wind-driven sea vessel and go around the world and reach the islands of the sea. And while he's saying that, all of a sudden, He's going up, 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 up. And before they know it, they're looking at Jesus and they're looking at him. And they're looking at him. Before they know it, they're standing, staring straight up into the air. And he's not there anymore. Do you realize the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended up into the heavens was this? Was go and break through the ethnic, the cultural, the racial, the economical, every barrier that man has. Break through it with the uncomfortable gospel of Jesus Christ. The last words he said. The last words doesn't give us an excuse. It gives us a challenge. The last words doesn't give us an out. It gives us a mandate. The last words calls us to get uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. 
And they're lost in this wonder. And those angels come and they say, Guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why do you stand here staring and gazing up into the heavens? The same Jesus who ascended will descend in the same manner. You know why we need to get back to the real gospel? You know why we need to get over our prejudices? You know why we need to get over our preferences? You know why we need to get over our hang-ups? Because I want you to know that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning. He is coming for His people. And we need to preach it like He's coming tomorrow. We need to hit the streets like He's coming tomorrow. We need to live like He's coming tomorrow. We need to engage a lost, fallen world like He's coming tomorrow. We need to pray like He's coming tomorrow. We need to pray like it's our last day. We need to sing like it's our last day. We need to preach like it's our last day. We need to share like it's our last day. Because I'm telling you, it just may be. One day, I was a child and our family pastor. Someone asked him at, over lunch. It says, well, when will the rapture take place? When will Jesus come back? And he said, well. He comes back for some people every day. Every day he's coming back for some people. They were lost in the wonder. I guess about two weeks ago we went out, several of us in a neighborhood and was just doing some visiting. And as a result of that visiting, people began to show up right away. Show up right away. Matter of fact, four of them's already called this morning to be picked up for the next service. Adults. As we was walking through the apartment complex, I ran across a couple of people we were working with, and I said, you know what I really need to do is just stop and repent. I really just need to repent. Because we get so captivated in the work of the ministry. And the luster and the wonder of the ministry. We get so captivated in the new strategy of what's trending. You know, what will we use? And I'm, I'm, we need to use every tool at our disposal. But man, I got to thinking. It really is pretty simple. Go and tell the greatest love story you've ever heard. And it will make a difference. And then the last thing that happened in this story was... They went back and as they were praying, they were believing, they were watching, they were waiting, they were in an anticipation mode. You know what happened? The promise of the Father. As they were all gathered together that day, in one accord. That wasn't a Honda car. The Holy Spirit failed. And when the Holy Spirit fell, man could not comprehend it. Man could not comprehend it. It overwhelmed the believers. It overwhelmed the unbelievers. It overwhelmed every group of people. Now let me close with this. If you go back to Acts chapter 2. Look with me if you would at verse 7. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? 
Aren't they all of one race? Aren't they all of one group? How is it that we each hear them in our own language? And just look at this. Look at all these people. Look at it. Look at it in your Bible. Wow. Verses 9 through 11 is ethnic group after ethnic group after nationality after nationality after nationality after nationality. And you know what happened? In the middle of a multi-ethnic hodgepodge, the power of God failed. I want you to know the day. I don't care what ethnic group you may be part of. I don't care how much your W-2 says you made last year or how much it didn't say you made. I don't care if the government's taking all your money or you living off the government. Jesus Christ went to the cross for every man, for every woman, for every boy, and for every girl. And he died. And he rose again. And he who descended ascended. So that he might fill you. With the power. Of the Holy Spirit. You see the thing that the disciples didn't want to give up. Come see Pastor TJ. Here's what they didn't want to give up. They didn't want to give up this. Man, it's Jesus. What's up, man? Let's build a fire. Let's cook some fish. The close proximity is what they didn't want to give up. But here's what Jesus said. If you'll give it up, I will be even closer. You see, right now, I'm only, I'm only around you. And you know they can arrest me and take me away. You know they can lock us all up in prisons and separate us. But if you will let me ascend to the Father, the promise of the Father will descend and I will indwell in you. Thank you, brother. I will indwell in you. Well, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You were bought with a price. Therefore, we should honor God with every thought, with every breath, with everything we have. As we wrap up this sermon this morning, maybe you're there at home and you just do not know what to do. You do not know where to turn. Maybe you've been waiting for a long time on a new beginning. Maybe in your heart and in your life, you're looking for God to do something special and do it new, but you've tried church and you've tried all these other opportunities and yet it's just not working. Maybe you've been waiting a very long time on a fresh start. Today, I know that waiting can be very uncomfortable. So right where you are, if you would just turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, get down on your knees, whether it's beside your sofa, your bed, or pull over, no matter what you're doing or or where you're at watching this, if 
you just begin to say, Lord Jesus, I want you to do a new work in my life. I repent of my sins. Lord, I, I give you my heart. I, Lord, I give you everything. Come into my heart and indwell with me. As we looked at the sermon this morning, talking about how Christ wants to indwell in us and not just be around us, but indwell in us. Today, it's a brand new beginning for you if you would just let him take that journey with you.